Good morning. It is good to be here. It is good to gather in God's house and to worship him. Um, just a couple of announcements as we begin. The first one uh, actually involves the uh, order of service today. Um, it is the middle hymn, which says 302. There is a typo in there. It's actually 385. Um, I mean, there's a large typo in there because I even put the wrong title in. So, um, But what a friend we have in Jesus. So um, just be aware of that as we move forward um, in the worship service. Also, Wednesday night, we have uh, women's Bible study at 6, and our men's Bible study will begin this Wednesday night at 6 as well. Men, uh, the books are up here in a box on the front pew. Grab one of them, um, and they are uh, $8 a piece. And you can, um, if you write it, you can give me the money, but if you write a check, just make it out to the church because I'm just going to forward it on to the church. Um, and so that will be in the adult Sunday school room. The women will meet in the fellowship hall. Um, also, uh, we collected, I want to say thank you to everybody. Last week for the Ronsvert Food Pantry, we collected $877. Is that correct? So thank you to everybody who gave to that ministry here in our um, community very important ministry. Also, Daylight Savings Time begins next Sunday, Saturday night into Sunday, so please adjust your clocks. Um, otherwise, let's see, in the spring, if you forget, you'll show up an hour late, if I remember right. So um, please remember that. I do remember my parents showed up for church one year, and we all wondered why everybody was leaving when we got there. So um, just be aware of that. And Finally, the last um, last announcement that I have, the session is scheduled to meet a week from Monday, that is March 15th at 5 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Any other announcements? All right, if not, our call to worship comes from Psalm 116, verses 1 through 7. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Let us pray. To the great God in heaven above, how wonderful to know that you hear and listen when we cry out to you. That great truth leads us to love you and to cry out to you more and more. We have nothing to offer you in compare to all that you have done and given to us. Yet we are here at your call and in your presence to render what little we do have. You promise that you will accept the meager sacrifice of praise and worship that we bring to you. And you accept it because it is filled and perfected by the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So remind us that you hear us because of him. Remind us that you are gracious and merciful because of Jesus' work. 
And Lord, we do ask that you hear our meager requests framed in the words that he taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We do love God because he first loved us. And this love is shown to us in the cross. And it is shown in the reality that he hears and answers our prayer. So please take Bible songs, that green book there before you, and turn to number 242. I love the Lord. Let us stand together and sing of the love that we have for God because he loves, hears, and answers his people. So let us stand and sing Bible Song 242. Please be seated. Psalm 15, 1 through 3 says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? 
He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend. We are honest, this is a tough list for us. So let's take a few moments to bow our heads and silently confess our sins to God. Lift up your heads and hear the assurance given to us by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John. John's words to the church about the life of Jesus found in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a, man, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love one another. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. We asked earlier, what can we bring? And we were reminded through the psalmist that our offering is meager. And yet we are commanded to give of our tithes and offerings. And God accepts what we give when given freely and joyfully because of the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us take some time now to prayerfully consider how we may honor and worship God through the giving of tithes and offerings. God, we do thank you for giving to us so that our gifts may be seen by you as fitting and honorable. We have offered our tithes and offerings to you today. We ask that these be used for service to community and to this church. We pray that your good news of grace and salvation would be proclaimed in how we use the money given today. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Whatever we give to Jesus, even if it is our sins and our griefs, he will bear like the best of friends. So please take your hymn books, the maroon books there before you, and turn to number 385. Let us remain standing and sing of the great friend we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So remain standing and sing what a friend we have in Jesus.
Please be seated. Thank you, ladies. As a people of God, it is good for us to know and to profess, to proclaim what we believe. We do so through the Apostles' Creed. So, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, I have a couple updates for us today. Doug uh, Crone uh, had a double knee replacement on Tuesday. He is home, which is astounding. Um, but he is home and doing well. Last we heard from Margie, so please continue to pray for them. Right now they say that they have everything they need, but if that changes, we'll reach out and um, uh, hopefully have opportunity to serve them. Also, Natalie Wade, we've been praying for her, a a friend of Emily's. Um, She seems to take one step forward and two steps back with her struggle against cancer, so please continue to lift her up in prayer, to pray for her and her, her mom, Amy, Um, as well. Any other uh, updates or announcements? All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God of creation, we are here today calling out our praises to you. You are the God of power that created the heavens and the earth. By the power of your word, you spoke into existence all that there is the heavens with their stars and the planets and black holes and nebula and comets are there because you said, let there be. The earth with all of its plants and animals and rivers and mountains and air are here because you said, let there be. We marvel at the complex beauty that is in creation because you said, let there be. We are mystified by the symbiotic relationships of organisms some of which we cannot even see. And those relationships exist because you said, let there be. 
Our own bodies work in harmony that mixes fuel and oxygen and chemical processes to sustain life that brings us to our knees in worship because the impossible complexity works in harmony. All because you said, let there be. And as the powerful God of creation, we know that we can bring our requests and petitions to you because you are the same God that created and sustains the heavens and the earth. You are the same God that hears and answers our prayers. So today we lift to you, Doug, and ask that you continue to be with him in his recovery. We thank you for the medical processes and the medical technology that allows him to have a double knee replacement and to be home already in less than a week. We pray for strength for him as he recovers. We pray for strength for Margie as she um, ministers to him and helps him in his recovery. We pray for Natalie and her family. And Lord, we are oftentimes grieved when we look at one so young who was struggling with cancer. And we ask for healing for her. Lord, she needs a miracle from you. We ask for healing for her. We ask for strength for her in the midst of this difficult journey. We thank you that you have strengthened her and kept her spirits high thus far. And we ask that you would continue to do so as she walks this difficult road and continue to strengthen her family and as they seek to minister to her and her friends as well, as they seek to care for her as they can in this difficult time. Lord, we know that you hold this in your hand, that you are the powerful God that heals. We ask that you bring healing into this situation and we ask that you be glorified as well as they seek to live life in your comfort and in your strength. We also lift before you our government. Our president and our Congress and our Supreme Court desperately need your wisdom and your guidance. It seems as though, it looks as though our government is embracing the calling of evil good and good evil as they promote attacks upon your creative wisdom and demonize those who stand for the ways you have created us and the world around us. Please show them the folly of pursuing such policies and give them wisdom to rule in a way that honors your law and that glorifies you. Protect us from the temptation to put our hope in presidents and congresses and governors and delegates and courts rather than in you. Forgive us for the times when we have said that the only hope for our sinful and sin-filled world is electing the correct official. Forgive us for the times when we have tried to place the future of your church in the hands of elected officials rather than trusting that you have all things in your hand. Help us to see your love for the prisoner and the infirm, your compassion on the oppressed and the broken, the stranger and the alien, the widow and the fatherless. Help us to love and care for them as you do. Help us to see beyond our own struggles and our own desires and stretch out a hand, a hand that lifts others up with a cool drink of water or a hand to guide those who may not be able to see the path before them. And help us to reach out to the spiritually infirm, the spiritually blind, and the spiritually destitute as well. Help us to offer them the riches of the cross, 
riches which purchased us out of bondage to slavery of sin and set us free to obey and to be loved by God. May we see the glory of our own salvation and be moved to have compassion on our family and neighbors and friends that are headed to hell unless they see and embrace your great news. Isaiah told us of a messenger who ran miles, shod only in sandals, to deliver news of victory. He said of the man whose feet were caked in blood and mud, how beautiful are the feet that deliver good news. Help us to have feet that are beautiful because they have crossed obstacles and walked in the dirt of others' lives in order to bring them the good news of Jesus. We praise you for who you are and for what you do. You are the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God who created this world and sustains it until the day of Jesus' return. You are the God who sent Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, to this earth in the form of a humble human servant to pay the penalty for our sins. And you are the God who sends the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, into dead hearts to regenerate us by the power of the good news of the cross. So please hear and answer our prayers. Prayers called out to the Father in the name of the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Today we are in Proverbs chapter 18. We will begin in Proverbs 18 and and turn and end in chapter 19, verse 7, as we return to the words of Solomon. Remember, Solomon spent the first nine chapters introducing us to wisdom, the benefits of wisdom, the means of attaining wisdom. And then since uh, chapter 10, verse 1, he has shown us the relationship between the glory and the blessing given to those who pursue wisdom and the ruin or the shame that comes to those who pursue folly. And so we pick up these sayings of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 18, beginning in verse 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. A poor man pleads for mercy, but a rich man answers harshly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor be hasty and miss the way. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friends desert him. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will not go free. Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of a man who gives gifts. A poor man is shunned by all his relatives. How much more do his friends avoid him? Though he pursues them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we are reminded that your word, your law, is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path, guiding us in your law, guiding us in wisdom. As we look at Solomon's words today, we ask that you shine that light upon the path of our lives. Show us where we are tempted to stray 
and bring us back to the one true way. Show us where we need to be more holy as you are holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we consider the parable of the, of the prodigal son, we are uh, tempted sometimes to miss some of the things that show up in there. We typically see the rebellion and disrespect that the younger son has for his father. We, we see that the carousing and the poor life choices that the youngest son makes, we see often with an attitude of serves him right, the destitution that he is left with as he considers eating the pig's food. We see the glory of the welcome home as the father throws a party for the son that was dead but has returned, who has come back home. There are some things that we typically gloss over as we consider the account. We miss the hopelessness of living in a dangerous world because we are thinking like the older brother that the starvation was of his own doing. We miss the willingness of the father to abase himself and welcome his, home, his son home who previously wished the father dead. And we miss the importance of the friends of the son, friends who desert the younger son as soon as the money runs out. And the passage that we are going to study today highlights the importance and the rarity of faithful friends in a fickle friend world. And as we are going to see how God uses these faithful friends to lead us to favor over folly. First, favor versus folly. Proverbs 18.22 and 19.3 set wisdom which leads to favor from God against the folly that brings ruin to life. We have this beautiful verse in 18.22 that is often used alongside Proverbs 31 in weddings or in, or in marriage uh, uh, counseling. Uh, that reminds us that he who finds faith, who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And this is true, that he who finds a wife finds what is good and oftentimes receives favor from the Lord. But, but that is only a surface truth. I think this verse points to something far deeper. There's more at work here than a random call to look diligently for a good spouse. How is wisdom introduced to us in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs? She's introduced to us as a fine lady who serves a wonderful meal, who, who gathers friends to her and is a blessing not only to the one who finds her, but also to the community at large. And I think that is at work here as well as we look at 1822 and Solomon tells a son, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Proverbs chapter eight lists out blessings that come to those who find and who embrace lady wisdom for the king, wealth and power in ruling guidance on the path, honor and glory are promised if Solomon's son, if we as well, will pursue Lady Wisdom and find and embrace her. These are the benefits of the law, which oftentimes throughout the Old Testament is considered favor from God. When we are blessed by following the law, we are said that we have God's favor upon us. In fact, that blessing that God gives us in Numbers chapter 6 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and bring you peace. Is a proclamation of God's favor upon the people. So below the surface of what Solomon says in 1822 is the message. Find, pursue, and embrace wisdom in such a way that you hold on to lady wisdom as you would your wife and you will find favor from the Lord. That's contrasted with the other occurrence of God's covenant name, the Lord in 19.3, where it says a man's own folly ruins his life and yet his heart rages against the Lord. In this parallel passage, we would expect wisdom to show up somewhere in 1822. And yet the wife shows up. And we see once again the undercurrents of the message of pursuing wisdom. But it's interesting as well that in a life of folly or a life of wisdom, the life we choose is a life that we choose. It is a life that we have responsibility for, for making the right choices based on the information that we have, the law, the wisdom that we have been given. But what does the fool do? The fool takes Adam's path and blames God. He makes foolish choices. He brings upon himself not favor, not blessing, but the curses of pursuing foolishness and folly. And instead of looking at his own heart and seeing that his own choices have brought him there, he rages against the Lord. We see here that God calls us to a life of wisdom, a life of pursuing the law, pursuing the rules that he has given us to govern our life and to govern our walk. And if we pursue those, we will receive favor from the Lord. And we must beware of following the false choices, the foolish choices, and find ourselves raging against God because that path leads to destruction rather than to peace and favor from God. But God does not leave us alone in this pursuit of Lady Wisdom. He gives us faithful friends in a fickle friend world. The, the, the theme of this particular passage happens in chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This verse is expanded for us in, cha in chapter 19, verses 4 through 7. Wealthy wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. We see here the word friends in these three verses is the same word for companion in 1824. And so Solomon is saying to his son, look, you are going to be the king. You're going to have lots of money. You're going to have lots of power. And you're going to have lots of friends. The word for companion, the word for friend in 19.4, in 19.6, and in 19.7 it, it is a word that it, it's, it's kind of an occasional acquaintance. It's someone who comes and goes from your life and is just rather fickle 
in the way they enter and leave your life and this fickleness, this changeableness, this wishy-washiness, if you will. Solomon relates to the wealth and the power that Rehoboam has. He says, wealth will bring you many friends. A poor man's friends will desert him. Many curry favor with the ruler and everyone is the friend of the man who gives gifts. As long as Rehoboam has money and power and prestige and can give that to people, he'll have a ton of friends around him. But if that money, if that power, if that prestige ever runs out, he'll be much like the prodigal son and find himself alone. We've all had this happen to us. We've all had friends that seemed faithful. They seemed to be our best friend, even if you will. But as soon as whatever it was that they thought that we had, that we could give them to boost them in life, they bailed. They left. They were wishy-washy. They were fickle. We see this in the second half of verse four and in verse seven. A poor man's friends desert him. Poverty is related not only to economic status, but also to importance within the community. The poor man is shunned by his relatives and his friends abandon him. And and though he pursues these friends with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. Chances are highly likely that nobody in this room will be a king in my lifetime or in your lifetime as well. But we all have some type of wealth or riches that other people are looking for. And they think that we can give them things and they will hitch their wagons to us as long as they think they can get something from us but they will oftentimes abandon us as soon as they figure it out. They will even be false to us as verse five of chapter 19 says. They will tell other friends things about us that are untrue. They will lie about us. They will betray us and they will turn from us. But Solomon doesn't leave Rehoboam here in the midst of this difficulty of living in a world of fickle friends. He reminds him that there is a faithful friend or as the second half of 1824 says, he says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Earlier in chapter 18, this word that's translated friend here in this half of the verse is translated those who love. We have a picture here of not just a friend, but somebody who loves us enough to cleave to us, to cling to us through thick and thin, to stick closer to us than a brother. You've all heard that blood is thicker than water. Solomon is saying here that sometimes water is thicker than blood because God will bring friends into our lives who love us and stick to us no matter what our life looks like. When we are in the depth of despair, We have the friend who is there who sticks to us closer than a brother or a sister. When we are on the heights of the mountaintops and the heights of joy, we have the friend who loves us more than a brother or a sister. And we should pursue those friends. Solomon gives us three characteristics that these friends exhibit 
and that we should look for in friends who are there for us or should be there for us. First, this friend lives a life of caution and restraint. Look at 19.2. It says, It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. The idea here is our, our adage of haste makes waste. We all have that person we know that just makes a rash decision. They are ambitious in their life. They have big goals and they have big dreams, but they don't do the work to get the knowledge that they need to pursue those big goals. And what typically happens to them? They rush into it. They are zealous for what they're doing today. This is my project. This is going to be how I am going to be successful in my life. And you ask them questions. Well, do you know about A? Do you know about B? Do you know about C? And they're like, no, it doesn't matter. I'm zealous. I'm passionate. I'm ambitious. And six months later, you talk to them and what's happened? They have failed miserably. In our culture, we almost embrace that as a way of life. The, the cautious person, the, the restrained person, the person who says, well, you know, I, I really kind of want to think on that. I want to gather some more information before I jump into it. I, I, I want to, to figure out so what all's involved. What do you expect from me? What is the expected results that I can expect? Restraint and caution as they move forward, that this friend who loves closer than a brother and a sister, well, she may also call you to restraint and to caution. She may say to you, I understand you're passionate about that. I understand you're excited about this, but let's think about it for just a second. Are you sure that's the best course of action for you? The faithful friend is one who is restrained and cautious. Secondly, she is merciful. 1823 says that that the poor man pleads for mercy, but a rich man answers harshly. We've all seen it. We've all seen and have been tempted to say to the poor person who comes up to us, well, if you just go get a job, if you just work a little bit harder, maybe take a second job. That can be harsh to somebody who's struggling and in the moment needs help. Yes, that may be the answer down the road, but in an emergency situation, that may be a harsh response. And the idea here is that the faithful friend, the one who sticks closer than a brother, well, she will answer with mercy, kindness and grace. How many times have you and I been suffering or struggling with an area in our life, it may be poverty, it may be, it may be grief, it, it may be just the, the difficulties of living in a fallen and broken world. And we've gone to somebody and said, you know, I just need, I need an ear, I need a shoulder. And we've heard, hey, be well and be warm and well fed. And I'll see you next Sunday. And we've, our pleas for mercy have been met with harshness. The faithful friend will sit down with us, will be with us, will offer kindness and grace in the midst of the difficulty. And and yes, they will be kind and graceful when they are honest with us as well. Which leads us to the third category, the third characteristic of the faithful friend. 
She lives a life of integrity. 19.1, better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. The fool is contrasted with the poor man. It's better to be a person of integrity and be hungry and destitute and cold and ill-clothed than it is to be a rich man who lies and cheats to get the money that they have. The faithful friend is a person of integrity. And someone who is a person of integrity, who is a true faithful friend, will call us to integrity as well. They won't just model integrity for us, but but they love us enough to enter into our lives where we are living a life that is not blameless. And to say, I call you to a life of integrity. Lewis Allen says the opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love is indifference. If someone does not care enough about you to say, hey, I see something wrong in your life and let me walk alongside you to correct it. They don't love you. They are indifferent about you. Our world thinks that indifference is love. But biblically, indifference is hatred. As she lives the life of integrity, she calls us to live a life of integrity as well. And she will do it graciously. She will do it mercifully. And she will hopefully do it with caution and restraint as well. Considering the fact that she loves us. But even the faithful friend will fail at times. Will be fickle. Because just like you, just like me, she's a sinner. And ultimately, there's only one true faithful friend. Jesus is restrained and cautious with us. Many of us tremble in fear when we stumble and fall in our pursuit of holiness. We think, oh no, I've finally done it. I finally committed that one sin that will make God so exasperated with me that he is going to leave and forsake me. Now, on one hand, that's pride in disguise as humility, by the way. It's typically saying my sin is bad enough to make God stop being God. But the reality is that because of Jesus' perfect life and wrath-satisfying sacrifice, God is patient with me and with you in our pursuit of holiness. His wrath is restrained because it was poured out upon the cross. And in being cautious and restrained with us, he is also merciful. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He answers our cries for forgiveness and mercy with the truth that his work is sufficient for us. No matter how proud or unjust or gluttonous or angry or lustful or idolatrous our actions are, Jesus meets us with mercy. And Jesus is the friend who walked in integrity on our behalf. And he calls us to walk in integrity as well. He is not indifferent to how we live. If he was, it would mean that he does not truly love us. He doles out discipline. 
But that discipline is a call to holiness and it is restrained and it is merciful because it is nowhere near what we deserve for our sins. And thanks be to God that His integrity, His blamelessness that led to the poverty and the destitution of the cross is ours in Him through justification. And He is the true friend that laid down His life for us. For his friends. He is the only faithful friend in a fickle friend world. You can tell a lot about a person by the people they hang around with. I remember in school every year, middle school and high school at the Christian school I went to, Dr. Keenan gave the opening chapel address. And it was the same address every year. And I only remember one line from it. Typically because I thought it was the dumbest line I'd ever heard. And now I think, man, he was really a whole lot wiser than I gave him credit for. But it was birds of a feather flock together. Do you have faithful friends? Or do you have fickle friends? The reality is it's hard to find faithful friends. Companion, friend, 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 one who loves. Five fickle friends to one friend who is faithful. We must be diligent in pursuing faithful friends in a fickle friend world. That means that we must act with caution and restraint when we choose our friends. That means that we ourselves must be merciful to those who are fickle. And that means that we must walk in integrity as we pursue the wealth of the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Let us pray. God and Father, it's hard to find friends in this world. It is said that we need six when we come to the end of our life. But we are considered wealthy if we have one or two or maybe even three. Lord, help us to be diligent. I pray for the young people in this room as they are forming friendships now. I pray for diligence upon them to find faithful friends who will be restrained and cautious with them and as they guide them in their lives. That will be merciful when they need mercy. And we'll be friends of integrity who are honest with them and who love them enough to call them to integrity as well. And for those of us who are older who have established friendships, help us to be faithful friends as we continue and continue to develop the friendships that we have. And remind each of us, young and older, that there is only one true faithful friend who laid down his life.
for his friends. And help us to remember that it is in his power that we pursue wisdom and that we receive the favor of God. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please take your hymn book and turn with me to hymn number 411. One of the favors that God has given to us as we pursue the wisdom of salvation is that we take the name of Jesus upon us. We are called Christians. We have Christ's name upon us. So let us stand and hear this blessing from hymn number 411. Take the name of Jesus with you. you leave this place and carry the name of Jesus with you, take this blessing upon you. Peace to all of you who are in Christ.
And we cry out to God, recalling the promises of the new heavens and the new earth. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.